In the last class, we were studying that portion of the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, where we find Sri Ramakrishna is relating the story of the elephant Narayan and the Mahut Narayan. So we tried to understand that story uh, from a particular perspective where we found, where we were just discussing that the Mahut Narayana is just like the one who is going to instruct us as per the dharma is concerned, uh, whose meaning is dharayateti dharma. That's the do's and don'ts, the commandments, that as long as I am in this phenomenal existence, as long as I am still bound to my ego, I have to be bound by certain commandments, certain do's and don'ts. Otherwise, my life will be totally disintegrated. I will find that I'm totally destroyed. So in that way, the role of Mahut Narayan is there. And the guru in the story who speaks of the ultimate reality, that everything is Brahman, is ultimately our goal. We all have to realize that in our scripture, they speak of two types of truth, Paramarthik Satya and Vyavaharik Satya. Paramarthik, the ultimate truth, beyond all the phenomenal existence. That's the ultimate truth. But as long as we are in this phenomenal existence, we have to have some Vyavaharika Satya for our day-to-day existence. Some practical, uh, no, what you say, this utility, utilitarian knowledge is something which is very important to us. To, go, to give an example, that what is the Paramarthik Satya and what is the Vyavaharik Satya. That, that this example which, give, which we gave in some different context, that Suppose to find out the network of roads in the Melbourne city. I move out. I just go around and have an idea of the network of roads. Now, as for the roads are concerned, all the roads are look alike. The merging roads, the exit, the freeway, all are made of the same material. They all look alike. But when I come back and I'm trying to prepare a map of the network of roads. After preparing the network of roads, a map of that network of roads, what I do in the map, we will put colors. Most probably for the freeway, we have put some green color. For all the merging roads, we have put the red color. For the exits, we have put the green color. So this is Vyavaharik Satya. For our convenience, we have put the color. Actually, those colors are not there. If someone seeing the map thinks that let me go out and see those colored roads, they're never going to find it. The truth is the roads have no such colors. For my convenience, I put the colors. Even the modern science with its neurology, you will find they say that we can never see the reality as it is. For our convenience, the mind is creating the map of reality constantly. 
there are so many interesting videos on those things. And we find exactly the Vedanta says the same thing. So as per the ultimate reality is concerned, the Guru has instructed that everything is Brahman. But in our day-to-day life, unless we go to that realization, we have to follow the map so as to find my life in this phenomenal existence to be something convenient. In another way, from another perspective, we can just understand this story that the end, the ultimate goal has been spoken of by the Guru. But the means, how we proceed in that path, that is instructed by the Mahut, the one who is sitting on the top of the elephant. We will find that in our life, we give so much importance to the end that we sometimes are not at all aware of the ways, the means. I will just uh, read out a portion of Swami Vivekananda's complete work, where he where is indicating this, that one of the greatest lessons I have learned in my life is to pay as much attention to the means of work as to its end. One great defect in life is that We are so much drawn to the ideal. The goal is so much more enchanting, so much more alluring, so much bigger in our mental horizon that we lose sight of the details altogether. But whenever failure comes, if we analyze it critically, in 99% of cases, we shall find that it was because we did not pay attention to the means, to the Mahutnarayan. We were thinking too much of the end, the Brahman, the Mahutnarayan, we were not at all giving importance. That's the means, the Mahutnarayan. Pay attention to the means. Prior attention to the finishing, strengthening of the means is what we need. With the means all right, the end must come. We forget that it is the cause that produces the effect. The effect cannot come by itself. And unless the causes are exact, proper, and powerful, the effect will not be produced. Once the ideal is chosen and the means determined, we may almost let go of the ideal because we are sure it will be there when the means are perfected. When the cause is there, there is no more difficulty about the effect. The effect is bound to come. If we take care of the cause, the effect will take care of itself. So once you have known that everything is Brahman, come down to the world, pay attention to all the details of your activities with that idea that everything is Brahman in the back of your mind. Be the witness how to mix up these two, how to synchronize these two, synthesize these two, that all the activities I do meticulously, but at the same time, I am detached. I'm not totally uh, getting involved, identified with that action. So that's the thing that to take care of all the details for that we need the Mahut, who is instructing us about the do's and don'ts. Otherwise, we will be simply trampled by the elephant, the mad elephant. He's also Narayan. But all the so-called factors which intrude into my life, I won't be aware of them. They intrude into my life and cause devastation. That's the idea we will find Sri Ramakrishna will be extending with the help of another story. When some devotee asks a question. So let us go back to the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. That a devotee asks, Sir, if a wicked man is about to do harm or actually does show, does so, should we keep quiet then? That we speak of ahimsa, non-violence, that we in no way should harm others. Does it mean that if someone is harming me, I shouldn't resist? So that's a very pertinent question the devotee asks. So here comes a very important, very interesting story, which the master is going to relate. 
So let us read and then we'll go to the discussion. A man living in society should make a show of tamas to protect himself from evil-minded people. But he should not harm anybody in anticipation of harm likely to be done to him. Listen to a story. Some cowherd boys used to tame their cows in a meadow where a terrible poisonous snake lived. Everyone was on the alert for fear of it. One day, a brahmachari was going along the meadow. The boys ran to him and said, Revered sir, please don't go that way. A venomous snake lives over there. What of it, my good children? said the brahmachari. I am not afraid of the snake. I know some mantras. So saying, he continued on his way along the meadow. But the cowherd boys, being afraid, did not accompany him. In the meantime, the snake moved swiftly towards him with upraised hood. As soon as it came near, he recited a mantra and the snake lay at its feet like an earthworm. Like an earthworm. The brahmachari said, look here, why do you go about doing harm? Come, I will give you a holy word. By repeating it, you will learn to love God. Ultimately, you will realize him and so get rid of your violent nature. Saying this, he taught the snake a holy word and initiated him into spiritual life. The snake bowed before the teacher and said, Revered sir, how shall I practice spiritual discipline? Repeat the sacred word, said the teacher, and do not harm anybody. And as he was about to depart, the brahmachari said, I shall see you again. Some days passed and the cowherd, boy, cowherd boys noticed that the snake would not bite. They threw stones at it. Still, it showed no anger. It behaved as if it were an earthworm. One day, one of the boys came close to it, caught it by the tail and whirling it round and round, dashed it again and again on the ground and threw it away. The snake vomited blood and became unconscious. It was stunned. It could not move. So thinking it dead, the boys went their way. Late at night, the snake regained consciousness. Slowly and with great difficulty, it dragged itself into its hole. Its bones were broken and it could scarcely move. Many days passed. The snake became a mere skeleton covered with a skin. Now and then, at night, it would come out in search of food for fear of the boys. It would not leave its hole during the day. Since receiving the sacred word from the teacher, it had given up doing harm to others. It maintained its life on dirt, leaves, and on the fruit that dropped from the trees. About a year later, the brahmachari came that way again and asked after the snake. The coward boys told him that it was dead, but he couldn't believe them. He knew that the snake would not die before attaining the fruit of the holy word with which it had been initiated. He found his way to the place and searching here and there, called it by the name he had given it. Hearing the teacher's voice, it came out of its hole and bowed before him with great reverence. How are you? asked the brahmachari. I am well, sir, replied the snake. But the teacher asked, why are you so thin? The snake replied, Reverend sir, you ordered me not to harm anybody. So I had been living only on leaves and fruit. Perhaps that has made me thinner. The snake had developed the quality of sattva. It could not be angry with anyone. It had totally forgotten that the coward boys had almost killed it. The brahmachari said, it cannot be mere want of food that has reduced you to this state. There must be some other reason. Think a little. Then the snake remembered that the boys had dashed it against the ground. It said, yes, reverse sir. Now I remember. The boys one day dashed me violently against the ground. They are ignorant. After all, they didn't realize what a great change had come over my mind. How could they know I wouldn't bite or harm anyone? 
The brahmachari exclaimed, what a shame. You are such a fool. You don't know how to protect yourself. I asked you not to bite, but I didn't forbid you to hiss. Why didn't you scare them by hissing? So you must hiss at wicked people. You must frighten them lest they should do you harm, but never inject your venom into them. One must not injure others. That's a wonderful story which Sri Ramakrishna is relating. That hiss, but do not bite. What this story actually speaks of. It's a story which actually has a great importance in our life. We all find so much difficulty in setting boundaries. This story actually is, is about the finding out a middle way between two undesirable extremes. That I need not initiate aggression, but at the same time, I should know how to protect ourselves, my, protect myself and protect my interest. We shouldn't become a doormat. Sometimes we become like a doormat. Anybody just wants to trespass and that also will be just rubbing its feet over me and then trespass me. In the name of non-violence, we just become something like a doormat. So that's we are not intended to. Why? Because setting boundaries is extremely essential for a healthy, happy, fulfilled life. It is very much necessary. Or else what happens? Eventually we will feel angry. We will feel resentful for all those who took advantage over me. It is bound to happen. And that will not allow me to practice. We will, you may just remember, the discussion started with Ramakrishna's that special uh, that words that when an elephant moves, the dogs in the street dog starts barking. The elephant never looks behind. It is totally indifferent. It knows it cannot be harmed by those dogs. It is indifferent. But here, as I haven't set my boundaries, and when someone I find have transgressed their limits, have as if trampled over my interests, and there is some reason, some anger building within. Now, real ahimsa is not just what you do physically. The moment you think ill of others, you are angry towards others, you are not practicing ahimsa. You are this kai mana vakya in word, in thoughts and your deeds. Everywhere that ahimsa should be practiced because it has more to do subjectively than uh, actually not harming others. That if I am angry, if I am resentful, I lose the peace of my mind. How can I do my sadhana spiritual practice with that restless mind, resentful mind? So I am doing hingsa to myself as well as to others by constantly flinging anger and grudge. It's a form of violence towards others as well as towards myself. So it's better to know how to set the boundaries. Otherwise, we are not that strong. Like Jesus, we cannot say, for, Oh Lord, please forgive those because they don't know what they're doing. If we have developed that capacity, that's different. But we know that sometimes though we may not physically be harming others, but internally, we are so resentful, so angry because we feel someone has trespassed the boundaries, the limitations. So it is better to know how to set boundaries in the first place. So what the, let, let us just speak of that how to set boundaries. The three or four tips to set the boundaries. First, we should know our boundaries. Just to give an example, when anyone comes to the ashram, you will find in there that somewhere it is written, maintain silence. Before entering the shrine, whenever we have some retreat or some physical gathering here, when the people come, you will find that someone announces, stop, switch off your mobile or keep it silent. So these are the boundaries we are setting. We know without that, there can be intrusion. So first is to know your boundaries. So if you don't know where your boundaries are, 
you cannot defend like the brahmachari that he thought that everyone everything is brahman and without setting any boundaries he was just going there with his hand about to pray the narayana in elephant what what happens we find there is an intrusion the elephant simply throws him uh, which just picks picks him up and throws him he is badly hurt so if you cannot defend if you do not set your boundaries you cannot defend yourself and other others may like the hati narayan will cross over because your boundaries are not clear any time they can cross over so have specific boundaries it's good that whenever we are in a community life it's better to know that uh, uh, that we should be maintaining silence we should be punctual we should uh, switch off our mobile uh, be seated at least uh, Uh, some uh, five minutes before the congregation starts, so that you don't disturb the congregation. These are the basic, basic instructions of setting the boundaries. After setting the boundaries, we should make it sure that if someone transgresses it, there should be some measure. Otherwise, that even if you set the boundaries and you just have no such uh, measures to. counteract if anyone transgresses it is as good as transgressing so best way if you don't want to violent uh, don't want to violate others if you don't want to harm others the best way that you can set measure is to be communicative communicate there's a third tip you can say communicate assertively and unapologetically be kind but firm be kind be compassionate but firm and while communicating again we should remember sri ramakrishna's holy mothers and sri ramakrishna's another dictum what is that jokhon jemon tokhon temon jake jemon take temon jekhane jemon shekhane temon it's very nice that adjust yourself according to the time place and person all the person are not same the same way of communication may not hold good for all for a kind person you just mention the boundary that is sufficient sir just you are supposed to maintain silence that is sufficient but there are some very crude person for them you have to be bit strong in bit strong terms you have to indicate so jokhon jamon the sri ramakrishna that you as a, like in a car you have various gears so here also to deal with various person with in various circumstances your behavior also should have some gears you cannot just behave the same way with all the same nice words may not be applicable to all for some you may have to raise your voice a little that's okay unless and until the last tip you are quite aware of your feelings and you know that whether i am talking bit rudely or i am talking politely whatever it may be in, in in as such my inner feelings are concerned there is no as such vengeance so that's the thing we have to be very very aware of mon mukh ak sri ramakrishna used to say that when i am just uh, saying someone i have to be very very cautious that i am not throwing the poison i'm not biting i'm just hissing there is one thing and another extreme is there sometimes we throw vengeance and sometimes we say oh i haven't i i am not hurt but actually i am hurt so that also again we should be aware of our feelings that if you are hurt politely mention but see you have transgressed i am hurt because if you just say i am not hurt know it for certain you are pushing your anger and resentment in your subconscious mind it will show up in some way or other and again you will be committing himsa you won't be that uh, elephant going through the uh, marketplace and the all the dogs are barking and you're indifferent it won't be again you will be violating there will be hinsa so just see this is a story which speaks of setting the boundaries neither to be uh, always aggressively violent towards other not to be so passive that you become just like a doormat set your boundaries know it for certain that is needed for your welfare as well for as the welfare of all in the community or in your family those boundaries should be maintained you should be quiet assertive but kind that's the thing that you in no way you should compromise with those 
and whenever it's required don't be silent communicate as just assertively and unapologetically just as just you can just communicate and at the same time be aware of your feelings so this is the thing we will find the previous two stories also can be brought into this that like an elephant if you have to walk without being affected by all the so called the the dogs barking at you there is no need to hate the dogs but you know you are the elephant they cannot affect so to be indifferent so this story is applicable that you have to set the boundaries and if you don't set the boundaries like that elephant narayan so you should remember those who are intruding they are also god but that intrusion at the stage in which you are you are just a novice in the spiritual journey just as sri ramakrishna used to say that story that how that boundary is required here also we are speaking of setting the boundaries that when the tree is small we have to give a hedge that's a boundary around it otherwise any grazing animal will come and simply feed on it it will die but when the same tree has grown it's very strong then those boundaries are not required so we should be aware of our own inner development if i'm yet to really be established in my spiritual nature those boundaries are very important that that's that acts like the hedge because the sapling is small but at the same time we should be uh, always aware of the fact that a time should come that a hedge shouldn't be required i should be sufficiently strong when the hedge falls off when the tree has grown the hedge is not required as swami vivekananda used to say very nicely it's very good to be born in a church but it is horrible to die there so all those set beliefs the mahut narayan they are okay as long as they ensure our growth but ultimately yes the ultimate that spiritual goal is non violence a time comes when your ego falls off when nothing affects you and then the question of retorting back doesn't come no question of vengeance at any state stage you can be just forgiving all blessing all that's the ideal that's why the entire jesus life does how much it inspires we don't know just those who are the these it is the believers the christian believers you will find their entire their entire focus is on the crucifixion because that's the wonderful thing where you find that the divinity is proven a man who is being harmed still there is not a single word of reproach he is just forgiving all he is asking is praying to the lord oh lord please forgive what what more can you think of that spiritual height the total non resistance but yes for that we have to grow to that state if we haven't grown if internally we that grudge is there outwardly we are showing non violence that is hatakarita that is a type of hypocrisy that sri ramakrishna always used to say mon muk ak that we our words should conform our thoughts and for that to setting the boundaries in the spiritual journey as a novice is very important so that's what sri ramakrishna through this story is indicating that you will find that the words at the very beginning of the story uh let me just go back uh, to that story a man living in society that's the very that's the catch point the time will come when all this need for your social bondage has fallen off social cohesion is no more required you have outgrown but this story is applicable for a man living in society you are with your family you are with your uh, workplace in your workplace so for such a person who who needs the society he is within the bonds of the society has to follow this uh, what you say this uh, dictum of his but don't bite know your boundaries set your boundaries and just see no one transgresses that so that's the wonderful story which sri ramakrishna is relating when if he was when he was asked if a wicked man is about to do harm or actually does so should we keep quiet then so we have to his but we should always be cautious that we in no way bite we don't inflict poison in that person so that speaks of our spiritual evolution so in this world at present 
you know, with, uh, with the multicultural society, this story still has a huge implication. That when in a multicultural society, we are there, there is intermingling of so many cultures. And we find sometimes the faith to which I belong, others are not aware. And there are chances of intrusion unaware. It's not that someone is hurting me intentionally. They're doing something of which they are not aware. And they're, of course, politely being, I also have the right to practice my faith, politely to make people aware of our faith, of our beliefs, and what all things hurts us is in no way harmful. But at the same time, having a sense of vengeance, so such and such person have hurt me, hurt my feelings, and I become vengeant towards them. I start aggression towards them, which at last takes the form of terrorism. That also we will find this story has a far-reaching effect. That also is something we should be very careful about. We are, we have the right for religious freedom, but we have no right for aggressive fundamentalism. So that story you see is from our personal life to the uh, society as a whole. It has a far-reaching implication that we do have the right for religious freedom. When I find my religious freedom is hurt, of course, I have the right to raise my voice and let people know, let the government know that these are the things which are a part of my belief. We, 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 we would like all the peoples to be aware of it and let us have a mutual respect for each other's culture. That's very good. But when I say that, that you have hurt my feeling and so you're my enemy, I have the right to kill you, I have right to do harm to you. That's the thing which you're biting, you're inflicting poison. Just hiss, don't bite. So it's a wonderful story which Sri Ramakrishna is relating. So the next thing Sri Ramakrishna will be what he's now saying. Let us go to his words. In this creation of God, is again a very wonderful idea we will find Ramakrishna is speaking of. It speaks the uniqueness of the Vedanta, of uh, our, what you say, the Hindu culture where we will find that the good and bad has not been uh, so-called segregated that everything good is God, everything bad is evil, the devil or Satan. Nothing like that. Good and evil, both are the expression of the same ultimate reality. So what? let us read his words, then we will go to the discussion. In this creation of God, there is, interesting is a creation, there is a variety of things, men, animals, trees, plants, among the animals, some are good, some bad. There are ferocious animals like the tiger. Some trees bear fruit sweet as nectar and others bear fruit that is poisonous. Likewise, <clears throat> among human beings, there are the good and the wicked, the holy and the unholy. There are some who are devoted to God and others who are attached to the world. So this is a fact of life because we are all evolving at our own pace. <clears throat> it's not that we are all evolving uh, together. We are all evolving at our own pace. And as the level of our evolution differs, so the question of conflicts come, it's very natural. As we were indicating, good and bad is only to this relative world. From the absolute standpoint, nothing is good, nothing is bad. What is good, what is bad? Anything that harms my limited existence, that the moment I get identified with my psychophysical existence and I take myself to be that limited existence, anything that harms is bad. Anything that nourishes it, gives it pleasure is good. So good and bad is something to this phenomenal existence. Beyond this phenomenon, this good, bad, nothing applies. To give a common example, that when the light falls on the prism, the white light falls on the prism, immediately it breaks into the spectrum of seven colors. It's not seven colors, it's actually beyond. We see only the seven colors. It's break into spectrum. So as white light, it is unified. The moment the prism is like the cosmic mind, the cosmic mind comes in association with the conscious principle. Immediately the spectrum is there. Some spectrum, like even when the moment the light breaks into the spectrum, we will find that the red light, 
that is therapeutic. If you have any body pain, there are some infrared light used as radiation to ease your pain. They are therapeutic. And the ultraviolet light, it will burn your skin. It will cause skin cancer. So good and bad is what? Related to your physical existence, related to your psychophysical existence. So actually, neither the violet light is good or bad, nor the red is good or bad. What's its relation to my psychophysical existence that speaks of good and bad? So the white light is beyond all the spectrum. But the moment it finds expression as a spectrum, as this phenomenal existence, something is good, something is bad. Everything is a projection of the God. If you go to that ultimate reality, uh, nothing is as such good or bad. Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel, in some other place, gives a wonderful example. He says, the same sunlight, the same sunlight which is falling on all. Someone is reading scripture in that sunlight and someone is counterfeiting coins. Is it, will you praise the sunlight or blame the sunlight? Sunlight is just the light. It is giving the light. What we do with it, with it speaks of the good or evil in this society. It in no way affects the God. As Sri Ramakrishna, in the gospel, we find so many examples he will give. In simple words, he's speaking of this Vedantic philosophy, this Vedantic ideal. The God is not good. God is uh, not bad, neither good. He's something beyond good and bad. As Sri Ramakrishna very nicely in simple words, he was saying a snake, a poisonous snake, a venomous snake, if it bites someone, that person will die because of the effect of that venom. But that the snake is always carrying that venom. It doesn't affect the snake. The Maya is the Lord's is the Maya. The, the, all the ignorance is projected from the Lord, but it doesn't affect the Lord. We are affected by it. So the snake itself is carrying the poison, but that poison doesn't affect it. But the person to whom it bites, it affects. So that's the thing which is being, being indicated here, that God is something which encompasses the entire creation. Man, animal, trees, plants, some may be good, some may be bad. Some animals are good, some are bad, some are ferocious, like the tiger. Some trees bear fruit, sweet as nectar, and others bear fruit that is poisonous. Likewise, among human beings, there are good and wicked, holy and unholy. There are some who are devoted to God and others who are attached to the world. So now, after saying this, he will speak of four categories of human being. We can all relate to it. That among the human beings, after speaking that, that is, there are so many varieties, good, bad, attached, unattached, some are devoted to God, some are attached to the world. Now he will say that the entire humanity can be classified into four classes. Men may be divided into four classes. So what are those four classes? Those bound by the fetters of the world, Baddha. The Sanskrit word, the Indian, uh, even in Bengali, the same word we used, Baddha, the one who is bound by the fetters of the world. And one, this, the next is the seekers. The one who is bound by the fetters of the world and they feel they are quite happy. That's the Baddha. Some feel that they're the bond and try to just get emancipated from it, get liberated from it. So they're the seekers of liberation, the second class. The third is a few of them do get liberated. They're, so third is the mukta. So the first is the vadha. The second is the, the one who is aspiring for liberation. That is the mumukshu. The third is the mukta. The fourth is ever free. There are a few, cat, a few uh, souls who, are, who never gets bound. They're the ever free. Nitya mukta. So, Vadha, Mumukshu, Mukta, Nitta Mukta. So, these are the four categories which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of. So, let's read his words and then uh, we will go to a bit elaborate discussion. Among the ever free, we may count sages like Narada. They live in the world for the good of others to teach men spiritual truth. So, they are not bound. So they are just uh, there to help others, out of compassion to help others, but they are never bound. Nothing can bring them to this world of delusion. They're always beyond this ignorance. The 
those in bondage are sunk in worldliness and forgetful of god not even by mistake do they think of god that we can relate there are so many people who won't in any way uh, give any importance to the spiritual uh, topics or discussions or this way of thinking they think it to be a trash some way of for some uh, way to hoodwink others so they never give any importance to that they're quite happy with their worldly way of life so that's the second the seekers after liberation want to free themselves from attachment to the world so these are the one the mumukshu some of them succeed and others do not so those who are succeeded they are the liberated the liberated soul such as the sadhus and mahatmas are not entangled in the world in women and gold their minds are free from worldliness besides they always meditate on the lotus feet of god and now sri ramakrishna will give an example suppose a net has been cast into a lake to catch fish some fish are so clever that they are never caught in the net so these are the nitya muktas they are like the ever free but most of the fish are entangled in the net some of them try to free themselves from it and they are like those who seek liberation but not all the fish that struggle succeed a very few do jump out of the net making a big splash in the water then the fishermen shout look there goes a big one but most of the fish caught in the net cannot escape nor do they make any effort to get out on the contrary they burrow into the mud with the net in their mouths and lie there quietly thinking we need not fear any more we are quite safe here but the poor things do not know that the fishermen will drag them out with the net these are like the men bound to the world so the one who is bound though he is caught up in the net instead of trying to free night to free themselves from the net they go deeper along with the net they go deeper and somehow they will burrow a hole on the mud and they cannot see their enemy and they think they are quite safe they don't know that in no time the fisherman will pull the net and they are going to die there this will lead to their death annihilation so what it speaks of it speaks of being myopic that in this life most of us are so much uh, involved with, entangled with the just the present sensed uh, world we just have lost the capacity to look a bit beyond we are so happy the uh, as a young person we are so happy with the sensed pleasures of life if i just if someone goes and says what will happen to you after few years when you will grow old he will say we just simply brush you off that i just there is only one life let me enjoy it so but if are we really going to enjoy this life there is a wonderful story means not story is incident in the life of swami vivekananda when swami vivekananda was in the west he was already famous giving lectures all around america in those days one agnostic also was very famous for his lectures for his oratory his name was ingersoll he was an agnostic so he is always used to in his lecture give an example of an squeezing an orange he used to say suppose you have an orange someone has given you an orange for me my aim is to squeeze it till the, to the last drop if this life is like an orange why to think uh, of anything else what you have just enjoy it squeeze it to the last drop why waste your time thinking of uh, some uh, your immortality the spiritual dimension what happens no one knows you have the orange squeeze it till the last drop swami vivekananda was aware of ingersoll's lecture and once they met so it was an interesting conversation the ingersoll said the same thing to swami ji that the spiritual things i have no belief on all those things if you have an orange my aim is to squeeze it to the last drop swami ji immediately told sir my aim is also the same 
to squeeze the orange to the last drop. But the problem, you know, sir, you live in time. I live in eternity. You don't get time to squeeze it to the last drop. I in leisurely go on squeezing it till the last drop. You live in time. I live in eternity. So this is the wonderful answer which Swami Vivekananda is giving, that you live in time. You're in a hurry. You cannot squeeze it. I can squeeze it. I know there is no end for me. Laserly, without any tension, without any hurry, I go on squeezing it. I can squeeze it till the last drop. I know how to enjoy bliss in this life. You say you want to enjoy bliss, but you cannot. You're myopic. You don't know what is waiting for you. Just a bit ahead. And that's what that wonderful experiment, the marshmallow experiment speaks of, which has been conducted on the children. You are all, most of you are aware of it. The famous marshmallow experiment. It's an experiment done on the children. Two, uh, what's the outcome of that experiment? That those who have the capacity to delay their gratification, they excel in life. So the experiment is a very simple experiment. A small uh, this uh, the kids on them this experiment is done the psychologists will move out will try to become friendly with the kid and then suddenly they will give a marshmallow the children are of course they are all the sweet tooth so they immediately want to have it grab it and the psychologists will say wait wait would you like to have another marshmallow the children say of course then well i have some work i am going out I will come back, maybe after five or 10 minutes, whatever it may be, but you have to wait. You have to wait with the marshmallow in, your, this, in a plate it has been kept, don't eat it. If after coming back, if I find that the marshmallow is still there, I will give you the second one. And there is a CCTV camera to find out, to see later that what all reactions are going on. So some of the clever children will lick it and keep it back, some somehow resists, and most of them couldn't resist. They will eat it. Some will be singing to distract themselves and so many things they will be doing. But most of them yield to it, knowing very well that another marshmallow is waiting for them. They cannot wait. So, but a few of them could wait. The experiment doesn't end there. It's the, this psychologist kept, kept a track of all those children that how they're faring in their studies, in their academics, in their professional life in our next 10, 20 years. And they found a wonderful thing that those who had the power to delay their gratification, that could wait, they excelled. That we have the idea that you should have a higher IQ uh, to really excel in life. They found no. Even children with uh, some mediocre IQ, the mediocre student, but with the power of delaying their gratification, they have excelled. So it's a wonderful experiment. And what's the reason? The reason is simple. That those who cannot yield to the gratification, those who yield, they are myopic. They cannot see what is waiting, that another, that I'm going to get greater benefit. Somehow they overlook that. And those who doesn't overlook that, they are the one who somehow never falls in that trap, is not lured. But most of the children, there are a few, it was very interesting that the psychologist will explain that if, do you want second marshmallow? Yes. So you have to wait till I come back. Yes. And even before the, the psychologist has left the room, he's still in the room. He's, about, he's still about to go out of the door. He has already eaten. So they're like that, uh, the Baddha, in no way they see the future. They are just myopic. And a few, of course, are uh, the one who cannot be lured. They're quite aware that if I wait, I'm going to get the second marshmallow. But the problem is with the majority. Those, the CCTV camera, it was found, they try hard. They try hard not to just have the marshmallow, but somehow they yield at last with all the struggle. And what are all the struggles are? Like the girl turned around the chair so that he doesn't look at the marshmallow, the small, uh, this kid, the girl turned around 
so that if it, it doesn't look that he won't be tempted still it was having that tendency to just have the marshmallow so to distract its attention it started pulling her hairs herself that pain will most probably distract her so all those were caught in the video so it's very interesting our those who are trying to get liberated we go for so many this tapas austerity but does it really help sometimes it doesn't help maybe it helps us to get rid of one or two of our obsessions but there are so many others which binds us only a few get liberated now this experiment marshmallow experiment is very interesting it continues even now uh, some they try in various ways that how to develop that delaying that of gratification that capacity to delay the gratification some have some do not have but if we take it to be that they have this faculty and the others do not have as if nothing can be done but if we can really develop that sense of uh, delaying of the gratification it we can excel in life so is there any way that we can help the children to delay their gratification so all those meaningless struggles do not help most fail but very interesting that experiment extension one of the extension is very interesting i saw it in the video that what's that that a child was crying because it failed again and again the girl was crying it was pulling her hair and did all the to inflict the pain that pain would distract nothing happened at last she yielded and she she had she just uh, was tempted and she took the marshmallow now the psychologist comes back and explains us look when you when i keep the marshmallow on the plate the think that plate is the frame of a picture and the marshmallow is just a picture can you eat a picture no i cannot eat a picture well you think it is a picture and now he leaves and he comes back and sees the marshmallow is still there and the, now the psychologist is quite surprised he tells it's still there and the girl rep- replies this in the language of the uh, psychologist can you eat a picture so that was the reply of the girl so it speaks uh, this st- story is what we are saying that uh, as we are just bringing the story of marshmallow again to find these four categories that some yield they never try it's very difficult to really uh, give them any training for dealing the gratification some don't yield for them also no training is required those who uh, don't feel like uh, delaying the gratification the inner urge is not there we cannot help them so this buddha and the nitya mukta they are beyond the training but the one who are trying their best but still get tempted for them that training comes to uh, our mind among those those who are trying with all sorts of useless i won't say useless all those austerities without any, having any proper goal in mind that may help them to certain extent to get rid of one or two attachments but that cannot speak of liberation for liberation what is the thing required at last that idea that the world is a projection my ego is also a projection it's a when the ultimate reality is getting reflected in this body mind complex i take the reflection to be real so this reflection this is a picture this is a reflection from which i have to free myself so till the one who can have that vision for him all the desires at at once falls together it won't take you can we can never think of mukti by getting rid of desire one by one all the desire has to fall at a time there's a nice story in the life of swami vivekananda that swami vivekananda as a wandering monk when he was passing through the deserts of rajasthan he was thirsty he was in search of water and suddenly he saw a huge reservoir at a distance so as he was proceeding towards it he found as if it is receding it's not he is not coming near and suddenly it vanished and then the idea came from childhood i have heard of miraj i read it in my textbook i thought i have understood but today the realization happened that what's the mirage is i realized that it's just a mere projection in the desert it's not there it's not real so what's the result the next day when again i was passing through the desert again i was thirsty again i saw the reservoir 
that yesterday I understood it's a mirage, it's a projection. That doesn't mean I won't see it again. I saw it, but there was a huge difference. What's the difference? Yesterday I was dragged by it. Today it cannot drag me. I know it's a mere projection. So that's the question of liberation. When you know it's a projection. Before that, we with all our tapas, with all our austerities, with all our in what say this induced uh, austerities, induced uh, hardships, we may get rid of one or two desires, but it cannot entail liberation. So we struggle, but liberation is possible only when the entire thing, uh, you know that the ego and everything is a projection of the real self. And then all the attachments falls off at a time. It can never happen one by one. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very interestingly, that suppose a uh, cave was dark for thousands of years. Most probably it has never seen light, a dark cave. For quite to say thousands, maybe millions of years, uh, when I went to the Janelong Caves uh, uh, in New South Wales, that's what the guide told. For millions of years, it was dark. And then in the 19th century, some, uh, someone uh, just to adventure, just uh, enters an explorer to have an idea of what's there inside, went inside and striked a matchstick to find that what a huge cave it is. So for the first time, the moment it striked the match, it was lighted. So Ramakrishna is saying that a cave which was dark for thousands of years, so maybe for millions of years, when you strike a match, it doesn't require another million years to get lighted. It gets lighted immediately. So that's how the knowledge, the spiritual knowledge, can remove the ignorance for millions of births, thousands of births, in one flash. The moment it dawns, it's a picture, it's gone. Before that, we may be struggling. We may be getting rid of one or two desires, but that doesn't entail liberation. A funny story which Sri Ramakrishna is to enter, say, uh, it's in the gospel in some other place. With that, we can understand the difference between a one who is aspiring liberation, mumukshu, and one who has attained that freedom. What's that story? That a man in the village was going to have a dip in the village pond. So as he was going to have a dip, uh, dip in the village pond, he was going to just have a, a, just to go and bathe. So he was having the minimum cloth. He was just wearing a loin cloth and there was a towel on his shoulder, nothing else. So he was about to move out. His wife called on him and told, you are so attached. Just see the, our neighbor, he has developed renunciation. So the man was a bit surprised. Well, what have you seen in him that he is saying that you have developed renunciation? No, no, that person has 12 wives and he's renouncing them one by one. So this man told, you are a fool. She can never renounce. Can anyone renounce one by one? Do you want to see what renunciation is? Yes, I am going once for all, never to come back. And he leaves and he was never found. He never came back to pack that he was just wearing the loincloth and the towel. So he never comes back to pack his belongings that, okay, I'm going once for all. So I need some, my bag and baggage, nothing. So after saying this, Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that renunciation is that, that it happens once at all. That is not just by living one by one that the wives were living. It speaks of getting rid of some obsessions which is disturbing me, but it cannot enter liberation. Liberation happens once for all. He went never to come back again. That's the idea of real liberation. So those who are seeking, till that knowledge dawns, that this ego is a mere reflection. This is out of ignorance. The conscious principle is getting limited in the psychophysical existence, making me feel that this is real and I cling to it. The echo of the eternity uh, is uh, being heard in this limited psychophysical existence. And I try to realize that eternity in this body-mind complex. And it goes on for life after life because of ignorance, which is never possible. This body-mind complex, which is not eternal. I try to find eternity there 
with all yoga, with all modern medicine, I may live a few more years, but with this limitation, eternity is never possible. How can the finite be infinite? It can never be. So at last, it should dawn in our mind that I'm already eternal. I'm just being befooled by seeing the reflection. I'm taking the reflection to be real. That's the, it's just like the, that's the story of the Greek character Narcissus. He was so obsessed by his own beauty. He used to stand by the lake and see his own image. And one day he tried to embrace that his own shadow. He jumped into the lake and drowned and died. That's what our condition is, like Narcissus. We have jumped into the reflection of the self in this pool called body-mind complex. And we take it to be real. We want to embrace it. And that's the cause of our death. Once we know that, all the attachments falls once for all. And that leads to liberation. Those who are ever free, they can. They are always aware of the projection. Those who are bound, they take this apparent reality to be the real and quite happy with it till they get sufficient blows so that that aspiration to become free comes. And those who are aspiring, some are trying to get rid of the obsessions which are disturbing them very much. They may get rid of it, but that doesn't enter liberation. You will find other, some other way the other obsessions come. Your Because at present, what happens you know, in our life, our mind is so narrow, the conscious mind. Only the things with which I am exposed, that is in my mind. The moment the situation changes, I will find so many other desires where they're hidden, they come. How will you just get rid of them one by one? It's not possible. So it has to happen with that realization. So among so many who are trying, only a few are liberated. That's why Sri Ramakrishna is saying that, that the fish, the, the fish which has got caught in the net, some jump off. They are the one who got liberated. Some never fall in the net. They are very clever. They never fall on the net. Those who have fallen in the net, some have gone deep into. There's that along with the net, they have dragged the net and just went deep into the mud of the uh, in the bottom of the pond and thinks they are safe. They are the ever bound. And those who are struggling of them, a few could just move out, just jump out. The others are caught. So this is the story through which he is categorizing these four. So I think. Uh, it's a wonderful story which speaks of our spiritual journey. So in our spiritual journey from this, that those who are the seekers of liberation, so what's our duty? Of course, the obsessions which are disturbing me as a short-term effect, short-term relief, I have to get rid of them. So tapas is required, but that is having a short-term effect. The long-term effect is I have to constantly be aware of my real nature or my identity with the divine so that this delusion falls off. That's having the long-term effect. That will bring the liberation once for all. Just to, with an example, we'll try to understand the short-term relief and the long-term relief. That when there's a flood, we go out, try to reach out to the people who are affected. We give them food. We try to give them some temporary shelter. But most probably that area is flood prone. Every year the flood comes. So as a short term effect, when the flood has already come and now the peoples are affected, now I cannot think of long term measures then. Immediately I go out, reach out, I give them food. I give them, uh, if the clothings are required, some temporary shelter is required. There's all short term relief. But as that area is flood prone, what I do, that after the Flood waters has gone off. Now we think that next year again the flood will come. Let us have building where the ground floor won't be there. It's on pillars. There on the second floor is the uh, place where they reside. They have to walk up the steps so that even when the flood is there, the water will be in the ground level. They are still safe in their own house. Uh, we actually in, in Ramakrishna Mission really we do all those things. The disaster management that in the village they have the bore wells it will be uh, it will be surprised some some of the bore wells in the villages you will find is in the upraised uh, platform it's quite high you have to get up the stairs to avail the bore well the same reason when the flood is there 
the borewell may get totally submerged. You won't get the clean water. Yeah, water is everywhere, but you don't get water. So if it is on a platform, you just can go to that height and get still can get the fresh water. So all those and the school building have a huge hall at quite at a height so that if there's need be, they can all assemble there. So still have the shelter. So all these measures have long-term effect that when it is flood prone, you again and again, these are the things which are going to save them in the long run. So similarly in the spiritual journey, all the things which are disturbing me, I'm finding it's a, I'm obsessed of the tapas through tapas. Of course, I try to get rid of them, uh, of those. And that will entail a tranquility of my mind. With that tranquil mind, now I have to go for the contemplation. Either it's bhakti or jnana, whatever it may be, which will at last end in spiritual realization. That's the long-term effect. And that will entail liberation. If we are satisfied only with the so-called tapas, it may give a certain extent of relief. It may make uh, uh, make me some uh, what you say a, uh, as a holy man to others. It may be that it will give. Oh, he's a very holy man. He has, a, but ultimately, it is not going to give us liberation. That tapas has to be associated along with that proper contemplation. Both should go hand in hand, and then only those few who are liberated. That's what they do. That they can then they can jump out of the net, and that can lead to the liberation. And once you're liberated. Once you're liberated, then the uh, question of that he will be promoted to that uh, this ever free category. That's what happened with the life of Narada. Narada in his previous life was just an orphan who through his spiritual practices had the realization, divine vision that entitled him as to become a, a Nitya Mukta in the next birth. There was no chance of again getting caught. So once you're liberated, then you become ever free. Then there is no chance of getting uh, caught in the net again. So this is the story by which Sri Ramakrishna is categorizing, which helps us to be spec to be self-aware, to see that in where I am, and accordingly, uh, just uh, proceed in our spiritual journey. So with that story, we will uh, end our discussion today. Uh, we will continue from the next portion again in the next class. So thank you all. Namaskar.